Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. That was amazing. Almost makes me want to walk in again. <laughs> I'm glad you're still awake after this whole weekend thing. How many of you guys did the game show last night? I didn't get a chance to get over there because there was an opportunity to throw dodgeballs at people, and I can't pass that up. How many of you played dodgeball? I really did want to get to the game, though, but I didn't make it. How many of you just, like, you chilled and had milkshakes and whatnot? Oh, those three of you. All right, good. Good. Good stuff. All right. So you always have to wonder about water when there's not a label on it. Did they just refill this in the tap? What is? I don't know. I can't tell now. Um, so, hey, before we get, like, jump into what we're doing this morning, uh, if you want to connect after camp, I know the band had given you some information about connecting and stuff, so I went out and started a bunch of social media so I could do the same thing. I'm just kidding, I already had some. Um, but if you can remember this phrase, you can find all my social media stuff and my website and everything inside Nate's head. So everything I have is inside Nate's head. It's at inside Nate's head or whatever that site is slash inside Nate's head. Or you can go to insidenateshead.com and just click on the social media tabs. Um, if you're brave enough to do so, find out what's in there. Um, that's, that's how we can connect. And I say that because you might have something that you're dealing with that you didn't want to pull me aside and say something um, because you don't want other people to see you do that. And you might have something that you, or just a prayer request, say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Some of you guys and girls did. You pulled me aside. You told me some pretty serious stuff that you're dealing with um, and want prayer for. And I think that is awesome. And so my commitment to you is that if you send me something, I'm not going to be like, oh, good, that kid needs prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to spend time lifting you up for as long. I mean, if you say like, this is going on, it's this long, I'll add you to my prayer list and make sure that I'm praying about that. So um, I would love to do that in that area. And uh, so you can connect with me on there, insidenateshead.com. All right. Now we get into the last chapter of Hosea. It's only five verses. Not the last chapter, but the last chapter we're going to look at. You can continue looking at Hosea on your own later. But we get right into the third one. And I want to do a quick, quick review of our boxes last night. Because here's the point um, this morning. It's not that you just totally wrap your mind around it. I hope you already do kind of wrap your mind around the fact that if you're a believer in Christ, and some of you, I believe there were like 18 students in here last night who said, I want to step into this. And they've already been completely justified. Because that's what happens, because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from every wrong. And then they step immediately into adoption. And you might have that hitch that you're hard to get over because you're like, yeah, I know I'm justified, but I'm not sure that I'm really his kid. You absolutely are his kid. He's already signed on the dotted line and everything, and he's made you one of his own. And then you're working on this. You're working on this sanctification thing, and uh, it's got the two parts in it. It's got the slime that's supposed to be Play-Doh that God is still working on you, but he also positionally sees you as righteous and holy. So you've got that, and the reason I bring it back out today is because you're about to go back into regular life. You're about to go back to school. You're about to go back into your neighborhoods. Um, probably at your age, a lot of you don't have a job yet, but maybe you're babysitting or you're doing whatever, you're mowing lawns, or probably not this time of year. You're doing something, all right? Maybe shoveling driveways, um, all that kind of stuff. You interact with other people. And if we would come back from our birthday party or from a, a vacation, like a Christmas vacation, and tell people 
about the gift we've received, this is that type of thing you can come back from and talk about that gift. And it made, does it ever sound like there's a rattlesnake backstage? You guys hear that? Like a hula hoop's just, I don't know what that is. It's a fog machine or something. Who knows? Anyways, I get distracted. But you go back and you tell people about that gift. And that's my encouragement to you. Whether you opened that gift initially years ago or whether you just did that last night for the first time or maybe even after that in your small groups, maybe somebody came to Christ during that. That happens quite a bit. Or maybe that's yet to happen and you're still weighing that. and You're like counting the cost because you have to count the cost to take up your cross and follow him. And maybe you're still counting that cost. Is it worth it for me? Am I going to do that? Um, I'm still kind of being my own boss. And I want to turn it over to Jesus, but I haven't turned it over to Jesus. If you get to that point where you do that, then you open that gift for the first time. you got to tell somebody else about that. I have a friend that stayed with me last weekend, him and his wife and his four of six kids. Two of them can't leave the country yet where they live because their adoption process is not done. One of them, this is the first time in the States, because they finished the adoption process, but they live in Botswana, Africa, and they're missionaries. They have three of the most poisonous snakes in the world, the puff adder, the black mamba, and the spitting cobra, all right? And they've had all of those in their yard or in their house, okay? So it's pretty, pretty messed up stuff. But one thing that they're doing there, which is kind of opposite of the way we do church in America, they're meeting with people one-on-one, leading them to Jesus, giving them that gift, and they open it up. And as they're meeting with them over a series of weeks, they tell them, okay, now, that, and sometimes discipling them before they're even Christians, like going through a Bible study for an hour a week for eight weeks. And then they'll say, okay, um, what do you think about this? And if they want to follow Jesus, they'll say, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find somebody that you know, and you're going to go through this with them and give them an opportunity to know Jesus. And they actually do it. And they've gone from like nobody, well, one guy, there was one guy who was already a Christian in that area, to like a church of about 160. They weren't trying to start a church. They just needed a place for these people to worship that they kept leading to Jesus. And these, this army, and they're all basically teenagers because in Botswana, one out of four people has HIV or AIDS. And it used to be one out of three when they moved there nine years ago. Just horrible. Like there's almost no older people in the country. They're considered ancient and they're my age, which you might think I'm ancient anyway. But there's not like 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds and stuff. The population has died out for the most part, except young people. And they've got this army of, the, you know, of over 100 young people who are going out and leading other people to Jesus and then bringing them into the church, rather than bringing them to the church, hoping they'll hear about Jesus. And they're just doing it. And we've gotten so complacent here that we don't do that. We got this awesome gift, and God has granted us sonship, and he's working on us, and he sees us as righteous and holy, and we keep it to ourselves. So my challenge to you is to share that with somebody else. You might think, I don't know how to do that. I don't have enough scripture memorized. If you can remember how you found a fountain of water, you can explain to somebody else how to get there. It's basically this, and this forms a cross. This is who I used to be. Tell them a little bit. Don't glorify it, but a little bit about who you were before Jesus. This is what Jesus did, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and this is who I am now. Maybe there's only been a day since then. Maybe there's been years since then, but you can share that. That's, that's part of the gospel. That's the whole gospel, as a matter of fact, that Jesus died and rose for you, and you can be free, and he's done that for me, and he can do that for you too. Take that to somebody else. 
Take that to somebody else. One of the things that hit me in that skit, I don't know if you got it all last night, but one of the things was when he said, and it kind of reiterated with the parable they showed up there today, that none, that nobody had been invited. Like the guests didn't go. You were supposed to. He talks to the church, the bride over here, and says, you were supposed to be inviting people. We're not meant to go to heaven one day alone. We're supposed to bring guests. You've got a plus one on your card, on your invitation. You've got a plus 50. You've got a plus 1,000. However many people that you can tell about Jesus who will accept that free invitation can come with you. So let's look at this next part. It has gone horribly wrong for Gomer. Before she was just you know married to Hosea, started cheating on Hosea, had kids by other people with Hosea, and he's like, I mean, when you call somebody not my people who really doesn't look like you or your family too, it kind of fits, you know? It's like, uh, not my people. As a matter of fact, you look kind of like the mailman, you know? Like, I mean, she was cheating on him rampantly, and she had all these kids, and a lot of them had nothing to do with Hosea's actual bloodline. And he would bring her back each time. And it got so bad, in that culture, when somebody commits adultery, they had the legal rights to bring them before the, the leaders, le- leadership of their community, and all of the community would come together, and they would stone that person, like throw rocks at them until they died, all right? It's kind of severe. That's not usually what happens, like you have divorce court or something, and well, he was, he was actually cheating on me. Oh, really? Well, let's step out back, grab your rocks, folks. That doesn't happen in America, but it happened then. But also, like, they were looked at as second-class citizens and so forth, too. And a lot of times, if somebody was doing those types of high crimes, they would be then taken and sold into slavery because their, um, their humanity was kind of secondary to other people. They looked at them as, like, second-class citizens. And Hosea comes upon his bride who has been taken and is being sold as a slave on an auction block. They're auctioning off Gomer. And all of her former lovers and the people who have slept with her are present and could be bidding on her, but they don't see the value in Gomer that God does or that Hosea does. And it perfectly pictures what was happening in Israel and what was happening to us. Because what Jesus paid for us was like a ransom, like you were kidnapped and he paid to get you back by dying on the cross. And God over and over again would bring Israel back when they were taken away to captivity. And then he would make a way back for them. And he declared, you know, you're not just going to call me husband or or master anymore. You're going to call me husband. In other words, I don't want you to just do stuff. I want you to know how much I love you. Now, it might be weird to you as a middle school student to think, really, I'm going to be the bride of Christ? I'm a seventh grade boy. You know, like, I don't want to be the bride of Christ. Think of another analogy, Lord. Well, he did. Here's the thing. He just went with, it's not that you're literally a bride or you're going to have to wear a dress like that was up here before. He used every intimate type of analogy that you could use humanly speaking so that we could understand it. So he calls us the bride of Christ. He calls us adopted into his family as children because we get those relationships. We've seen a husband and wife that are in love before. Sometimes we see a husband and wife that are fighting and it's not a good picture of who God and we are. Sometimes we see a father and son interacting or a mom and daughter or mom and son or whatever and we see them interacting in a way that doesn't, that that gives us a bad view of who God might be like that father in the stands yelling at his kid. But ultimately he was trying to give us pictures of who he was. So he's like, I'm like a really, really, really loving husband. 
that would take care of you and provide for you. I'd love you no matter what and even give my life for you. He says, I'm like a father that when you didn't have one yourself, I would adopt you and bring you into my family. He said, I'm like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And for the really, really selfish people out there who don't think about anybody beyond the edge of their nose, you know, it's just about them. He's like, you're like my very body. Like, I want you to get that. I mean, you probably spend way more time this morning, some of you maybe not, fixing your own hair, making sure there was nothing hanging out of your own nose, making sure that there's, your armpits weren't going to stink and you had applied deodorant. You spent more time doing that than you did doing that to somebody else, hopefully. Now, there are some primates that groom each other and eat bugs out of each other's hair, but I hope that the humans in here weren't participating in the same type of antics. Now, sometimes girls are braiding each other's hair, and I totally get that. It's easier to braid somebody else's hair than it is to braid your own hair, whatever. But normally, even when you take a picture, a group picture, like I've, had, I've looked at a picture before, that, that's pretty good. And then somebody's like, delete it, delete it immediately. They didn't even notice the rest of the group. They looked straight at themselves. Because we're, we're focused on ourselves. We're kind of a self-absorbed a society. So God says, you're like my own body. Like, I want you to think of it that way. Like, maybe you love yourself. Well, that's how much I love you. Maybe you love your kids. That's how much I love you. Maybe you love your significant other, your spouse. That's how much I love you. Maybe you love your friends. That's how much I love you. I mean, God used just about every analogy except like a dog and a person, because back then dogs were kind of like not as People didn't have them as pets as much. They were kind of just the cleanup crew to the table, and they were constantly out in the streets, and they're all mangy and mongrelly, and they hadn't, like, bred them to look super cute and hypoallergenic and were no... I mean, I wish my dog was like that because it sheds another small dog once a week. It's lodged in the vacuum cleaner. We have a vacuum cleaner called a pet eraser, and it doesn't work. It actually makes more. All right, so I don't know. So here's where we... Find Gomer on the auction block. So this is what God says to him. The Lord said to me, this is chapter three, verse one, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and she is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I know. So they use these raisin cakes in, in pagan worship to false idols. It's not the little Debbie ones. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, we have some of those weird, nasty yellow things that you kind of think your mom, you told her, get, some, get some, uh, some little Debbie pies and stuff, and she bought the raisin cakes. Have you had those? It's like yellow cake with raisins in it, and it's got the same icing that the oatmeal pies has, but it's just not the same, okay? They're not good. But anyways, even though they've turned to other idols and they love the sacred raisin cakes, so I this is what Hosea says. So I bought her for 15 shekels. That's six ounces of silver. I don't know what silver is today. It's probably around $12 an ounce. It fluctuates between that and about $18 an ounce, but lately it hasn't been. When the economy's good, silver's low. When the economy's bad, people are like, grab your gold and silver and head for the hills. And it goes up and it's super expensive. That's how it works. It's weird. I know. And it's weird that I know that, but just something I know. Random trivia. That's what I like. Anyways, so he buys her with 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. We don't use that term of measurement anymore today, but it's possibly about 450 pounds worth of this this barley and this uh, 
where I just lost my place here because of sacred raisin cakes. There it is again. Okay, of, of barley. Yeah, of barley. So that's what, that was 430 pounds of it. He's like, I got all this barley. And here's some silver. But that's how, I don't know what, what other people were bidding at that point that he had to one-up them that way. Be like, okay, I've got all this, I've got these few ounces of silver here and I've got all this barley with me. But she was about to be sold off to somebody who would not value her, who would use her, but who would not see who she was created to be. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. And ephod's a, way, a, a thing that they would wear that was part of their worship. Anyways, afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. That's the ancestral line of David. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. He said, it's not hopeless. Just like it wasn't hopeless for my wife, who's being sold into slavery right now and nobody values. And he couldn't even just walk up and be like, uh, excuse me, she's actually my wife. They'd be like, if she's your wife, then why is she acting like this? If she's your wife, why do we catch her with this other man? She should be stoned in the street. Are you kidding me? We're selling her. You don't have any rights to her. She doesn't have any faithfulness to you. Instead, he just stands in line with everybody else and says, I will outbid every last one of them to get her back. And that God would not give up on you. That he raised the stakes again and again and again and again. Because the price for you to go to heaven is perfection. It's to live a perfect life, to not mess up in one area of the law of the Old Testament. That's the price for you to go to heaven. And no person had been able to pay that price. So Jesus came and lived a perfect life, paying that price, being perfect, and then becoming the ultimate sacrificial lamb for us to take our place so that he could take our sin and give us that perfection. Because you need that perfection. You need that positional sanctification in order to go to heaven. He needs to see you as righteous to let you in because no sin can come before him. And so he gives you that righteousness that you didn't earn. That's an amazing thing to think about. And it makes me think of family. And I know that most of you aren't thinking in the husband and wife vein here. You're probably thinking more of like brothers and sisters or your you know, relationship with your parents because that's where you happen to be. So we're going to look at this passage in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15. And, and they uh, have been showing different parables. Maybe you've noticed they're from the Bible. They tweak it a little bit. It's very creative. Yesterday, there was this guy who worked for his dad and he ended up like running off. You probably noticed that as being the prodigal son story. There was a character that wasn't in there that I really want to focus in on when we get to it. But in Luke 15, Jesus tells this story. And he tells this story, just know this, he tells this story in light of three stories. He's trying to hit everybody where they live. So maybe you've heard about Jesus leaving the 99 sheep to get the one. You heard that? We sing about that in uh, Reckless Love. It's in there. Uh, and it, maybe you've heard that song. And then there's also this story we don't talk about as much where there's a, a lady who's lost this coin. She didn't have a lot of money and she's lost this coin and it's gone into a crack in the floor somewhere and she sweeps the house and turns it upside down until she finds it. So God is the shepherd in one of these stories. God is a father in another one of these stories. And God is this woman who is poor in this other story. And it's, it's trying to hit everybody 
on different levels because the poor people will get it. Oh yeah, I totally dropped my money. I've, I, I need to find that money where a rich person or even a middle-class person will be like, it's just a quarter. You know, like it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But a working class person, they would totally get what it's like to lose one of their lambs when they only have the 100 and the 99 are here and there's one out there somewhere. I need to go and get that lamb. But still to a rich person, big deal. I can buy more lambs. I can have more coins. But they would get what it's like to lose a son because those are invaluable. There's no way to figure out the value of your kids. They're priceless to you. So he tells all three of these stories. And in two stories, God is looking for the coin. God is looking for the sheep. And in one, God doesn't go out looking for the son. You ever notice that about the prodigal son? He doesn't go looking for the son. There's a different attitude there. The lamb, lambs are stupid. Lambs wander off. You know I mean? Like they're just dumb. And they wander off and you have to go get them. And the coin, it's an inanimate object. We don't know what it's thinking. Uh, but this is like somebody who's inadvertently got lost. They're not meaning to. They're not in rebellion to their creator. And he's going out to look for them. This other guy, he has decided to do things his own way. And God waits for him patiently to come back, wants him to come back, desires him to come back, but doesn't go after him, but waits where he is, knowing that he has the seeds of truth in his heart and eventually he might come to his senses. So let's check this story out. Jesus continued. He had just told the other two. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said, and we're going to look at the other son in a second, but the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, I don't want to wait you out. I know I'm in your will. Just go ahead and give me the money now, all right? So let me get my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. Now, the Jewish people didn't have anything to do with pigs. They didn't eat pit, didn't eat pork. They considered them nasty, unclean, scavenging animals that basically ate trash. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. This is a famine time, so he's probably not getting paid much. We have no idea what he's getting paid, but this is the story that God gives us. When he finally came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, he's got this planned script. He's gonna walk up to his dad. He's gonna say, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went, on, went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Sometimes we think of him like stepping off the porch. He's like sprinting for his kid. He sees him coming back. He knows where his heart is at that point. He's coming back to me. He sprints to him. He throws his arms around him and kissed him. And the son starts off with his planned speech that he had prepared. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't get out the next part because his dad interrupts him. The next part is make me like one of your hired servants and he can't do that. But his dad calls the servants. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals 
on his feet. He's like, I mean, in, today you might not think that's great. I got some, I came back to my father. He gave me some sandals, a ring, you know, and uh, a new coat and everything. But maybe just think about the best type of thing you would like to wear, some fresh kicks on your feet and an Apple watch or something. I mean, like, he's like, let's, let's, let's just really make this a celebration time that my kid's back. Then he says to his servants after that, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now they would eat red meat every once in a while, but it was mainly like on a special occasion. It wasn't like when you stop somewhere and you just get a burger. They would only do this on a special occasion and mainly at wedding times and stuff like that. So basically it's like, let's cater this thing. Let's bring in the best food that we can possibly have. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they begin to celebrate. And this is where we find the second kid. Remember the one who didn't leave? The one who wasn't like, dad, give me my money. He was just like faithful, doing his thing, going to youth group, going to church, living in a Christian home, just kind of doing his thing. He didn't have one of these awesome testimonies where I became part of a biker gang and was strung out on heroin for years. And now I love Jesus, I think. Wait, hold on. Brain cells are fried. Anyway, I mean, like, he didn't have an awesome testimony like that. He just had that steady paced testimony where he had just kind of followed the Father no matter what. And it says right here in verse 25 Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard, like, there's a little party going on in the house. It's, I don't know what it sounded like. But, uh, you know, it's probably a harp. <laughs> it's just much What is happening? You know, they're dancing. They're having a little party in the house. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother ran and was like, Bruh! no, he didn't really. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Like they're eating, they're eating like veal parmesan and you never even gave me like a, like a goat burger, whatever that is, you know. Yeah, I never even... I never even had anything, like you, you, you haven't celebrated with me like this, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, like apparently what he was doing, this riotous living, debauchery and stuff that it says earlier, had, the reputation had already gotten back home and his brother's like, man, he has been, he's been like Gomer of the Old Testament. He's been sleeping with people and he's wasted money and all this stuff and you're doing all this for him. Do you understand what you're doing? He said, he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him and his father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He has a problem because he did these things for his brother. And he never truly understood what the relationship was supposed to be like. The father says, you are always with me. We need to be for God and not just with God. Like I associate with, I identify as Christian or whatever. There's something deeper there about wanting to know who God is and being excited when God 
actually redeem somebody else. The brother was just livid because he could not get what it was like to be far from God and to come back to God. The way he identified his relationship with God was all about doing stuff. I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed you. I've been keeping all the rules. And remember when you go back to Hosea, what God said he wanted of Israel, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you'll no longer call me my master. You are not in bondage to a set of instructions to make you right before God because you cannot complete them because we're not perfect. Jesus did on our behalf so that we could now call him husband or we could call him dad or we could call him friend. That's what he wants for you. That's what he has for you. And that's the gift that we take back to tell other people about what God's done in our life. Maybe you've been friends with somebody for a long time and you've not had that conversation. Maybe you've had that conversation. They've kind of shot you down and been like, I don't want to hear about this Jesus stuff anymore. Kind of cool it with that. You can reintroduce a conversation like that. Be a little bit bold. It is kind of important that they know who their creator is, not just for eternity one day, but for life now to really get who they are. You can kind of be bold with that and just say, yeah, I know we've talked before. I know you know I'm a Christian and stuff, and I've told you that I'm a Christian. Let me tell you, if you don't mind, let me tell you why I'm a Christian. Why Christianity? Why did I choose this? Or start a conversation with somebody that you haven't had that conversation with again. Be like, hey, we've known each other for a while, and I haven't told you about kind of my beliefs. I'd love to hear about your beliefs, like what you think happens after we die and stuff. And then I'd like to tell you about my beliefs. And come at it not as a fire insurance, like I'm not gonna go to hell or I have some life insurance plan or this home in heaven. Because it is, it is true that if you don't know Jesus, that you'll be separated from him. And it's true that if you know Jesus, that you get to be in heaven with him one day, but it's not about just the afterlife. Otherwise, God would immediately take you home when you accept Christ. He'd be like, okay, now you can come to heaven. you just be sucked up to heaven. He leaves you here with a purpose to get more people into relationship with him. He, he created us to be in perfect relationship with him here on earth forever until Adam and Eve messed up. And then heaven became the plan B. But Running through plan B is still that plan A of I created you for relationship. He wants you to be with him forever and he wants it to start now. So if your friend doesn't know Jesus or if you don't know Jesus, it's not that you'll be separated when you die, it's that you're separated now. It's not that you'll be with God when you you die, if you accept Christ, it's that you can be with God now and that relationship is so sweet and so dear, and he promises never to leave you or say he doesn't know you, that when your body wears out, he'll take you to be with him forever. That's the type of relationship he's offering. It's not just a, oh, no, I don't want you to have this happen, or I want this to happen. He wants you to know who you are, who you were created to be, and he wants to use that to show other people who he is too. He thought about you from eternity past. He thought about you and thought, this person I'm making will make a great Friend. They'll make a great friend. I know humanity's gonna become sinful, and the only thing holding me back as a holy, perfect God from being their friend is that sin, so I'll do something about it. I'll take it on myself, I'll take care of it so that we can be friends. It was all about relationship. That's why we exist, so that God can be friends with us. 
I don't know why. He doesn't need friends. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need sleep. He wants us. That's different. I don't need Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't. They do nothing for me, really, in like health-wise and everything. I want them. And when I see a hot now sign, I can't help but go to them. It's like God sees that on your head. And he's like, ah, I see them getting ready. And, and ah, oh, man, I can be friends with them. And I've done everything possible to make that happen. Take this message back with you. Don't sit on it. Let people know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life and who you are and what Jesus did and who you are now so that they might be drawn to the Father as well and become part of one family. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each person here. Lord, I thank you that the uh, story of Gomer and Hosea didn't end in the second chapter, but that you made a way to show a picture to Israel, a picture to us of what it's like to buy us back when we were slaves to a thing called sin and to say that you can be mine forever. We thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We, we thank you and praise you for those who have given their life to you this week, for other students who've made decisions to let go of things that are entangling them so that they can move forward. I pray that they would move forward into sharing your good news with other people that what happens outside of these walls would be bigger than what happened inside these walls. And that your story would go forth from our lips to other people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You've been awesome. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.